Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Today we're going to dive into the bank robberies of 1922. I don't know if you've heard of these or not, but they happened in Saskatchewan and for a time they were big news. And many still look back on it as one of the more unique chapters in Saskatchewan's history because Saskatchewan and Canada were never really known for having that lawlessness of the Old West. But for a time, there were bank robberies, explosions, and bandits. So, we're going to dive into these, and we're going to look at the two communities where the, the, the robberies are the most famous, and that's Salon and Musiman. Now, today, Salon, located in the far south of Saskatchewan, is a village of 90 people. It was brought into being thanks to the railroad in 1911, and the origin of the village name is kind of unknown, but it was given to the community by John Alfred, who was the first postmaster, and he did not want the community named after him. And over the course of the years, the population of the community fluctuated with the harvest, typically staying around 100 residents. In 1926, the community was considered one of the best villages to live in in the province in an article published in the Regina Leader. As for Musiman, it was founded in 1882 and it sits in the southeast corner of Saskatchewan, near the border with Manitoba. Named for Chief Musiman, the community was home to several military units over the years, including the 10th Regiment Canadian Mounted Rifles and the 101st Battery of the 22nd Field Regiment. The community's military history is exemplified by the fact that General Andrew McNaughton was born in Musiman in 1887 and he would go on to command Canada's overseas army during the Second World War and serve as our Minister of Defence. Today, thanks to a major potash mine nearby, the community boasts 2,485 people. Now, let's dive back. September 1922. We're going to learn a bit more about those robberies that broke the peace of Saskatchewan. For Salon, the big commotion began in the middle of the night at the bank. Now this bank had been operating the community since 1910, when it was an independent bank situated in a small 12 by 14 building on the north side of the tracks. In 1911, the entire town moved, and with it, so did the bank, but it became a 36 by 22 foot building, and seven years later that rural bank became part of the Bank of Montreal chain. And on September 27, 1922, it was a typical Wednesday for the community, when a group of armed thieves arrived in Salon and made their way towards that bank. According to Mary Hadley, an employee of the bank from May 1922 to September 1926, she was awakened on the morning in question by someone yelling that the bank had been robbed. Running out to see what had happened, she found the door to the bank had been blown completely off and the windows were smashed, probably in the explosion. Several people were in the area when the bank robbery happened, both at the rail station and staying at the barber across the street, and they said that the robbers were very well organized and had a truck that headed south after the robbery. Emma Boss, who was a switchboard operator at the telephone office next to the bank, was awoken by a loud explosion around 1 a.m. Jumping up and lighting a lamp, she heard a voice say, Get that out quick, or we'll put it out for you. She then put it out and woke the teller, who also boarded there and they attempted to phone out, only to discover the wires had been cut. 
By the time they were able to alert the authorities by crawling out on their hands and knees through the back of the building and into the alley, the robbers were long gone. Within the bank, everything from cash and securities to bonds and mortgage notes had been stolen. According to the accounts of those who were awake late into the night, the men came into the town in a car loaded with guns, tools, and nitroglycerin caps, fuses, and a heavy suitcase for the stolen goods. Now when the loud explosion happened, several townspeople awoke and a few were ready to run out, see what had happened, and deal with it themselves. Toy Yi, who lived nearby with his father, said that his father had a revolver and he grabbed his gun to go outside and stop the robbery, but he was stopped by another man. That man might have saved his life, we'll never know. The robbers took the money, ranging from about $7,000 to $16,000 depending on accounts, and drove out of town. Just prior to leaving town, one robber was reported to have shot his rifle in the air. The last the men were seen was when they passed a farm at 4.30 in the morning, about 17 miles south, heading for Big Muddy. Interesting story about Big Muddy is that it's a very unique landscape, and it was actually used by outlaws during the Old West as a place to hide because there was all these caves and trails and really interesting story, and it's one I might delve into uh, maybe down the road. So, let's move on to Musiman and the robbery that happened there on the same day. On September 27th, seven charges of nitroglycerin was used to blow a bank safe wide open, and in the process it destroyed several windows at the bank in Musiman, causing $3,500 in damages. The robbery, which happened at 2am, resulted in two men bounding the night operator at the CPR station, a man by the name of Jim McDonald, and taking him to the bank. He was put under a desk while the robbers ransacked the place, stealing $8,000. It is believed there were at least six men who cut telephone and telegraph wires, as well as wires on all the cars parked along the street. Even the rope to the fire bell was cut, and G.J. Nutt, the bank accountant, and his wife were put under guard. Around the time all this was happening, Harry Rivers, the night clerk at the Queen's Hotel, noticed that several wires were cut and that the CPR operator was missing at the station. He woke up several citizens who made their way to the armory and, once armed, walked to the bank. Unfortunately, by that time, the robbers were long gone. Now, who were these robbers that targeted two communities in Saskatchewan and made away with a small fortune? According to Margaret O'Hara, who was a young girl in Musiman at the time of the robbery, all the robbers were from the United States, and they were called the Norman Gang. Now, it's not known if this is actually true regarding the name or if O'Hara simply heard it second-hand from someone. Interestingly enough, the robberies of the banks may have their origin almost a year earlier, when a gang from the United States came up from North Dakota into Manitoba and Saskatchewan. According to the history of the Winnipeg Police Service, 1921-1922 was a period of several robberies and high crime in the provinces. On October 12, 1921, there was a break-in at the bank in L.E., Manitoba with a gang stealing $1,200. Just over a month later, on November 16th, a liquor warehouse in Carnduff, Saskatchewan was robbed and 60 cases of liquor was stolen. Once winter hit, the gang appeared to have quieted down, but by August 1922, they started back up again. On August 21st, the bank in Melita was robbed unsuccessfully. And on August 28th, the Bank of Hamilton in Killarney was robbed of $11,000 after a safe was blown to bits. The bank in Ellie was robbed once again the next night, but this time the robbery was unsuccessful. In September, 
On the 23rd, the gang robbed the Union Bank in Melita again, and this time, the robbers became violent. According to accounts, the men arrived in town at 3 a.m., walking from the outskirts where they had parked their cars. They cut the telephone and telegraph wires, overpowered the night watchmen at the power station and tied them up and made their way to the bank. Waking up two employees at the bank, they marched them downstairs and made them stand outside, under guard by one robber. Using eight charges of dynamite, the men blew open the safe and also woke up a number of residents. One resident thought, one resident thought there was a fire and ran to the fire hall to ring the bell, which may explain why in future robberies that bell was cut. The editor of the local newspaper walked towards the bank and was ordered to stop by the man guarding the bank employees. The editor continued to walk and was shot in the foot by the robber. A large amount of cash was stolen later reported to be over $108,000 in cash and bonds, and the bandits fled the town. The robberies in Ceylon and Musaman followed, with another robbery on October 4th in a nearby town, where the liquor supply depot was robbed of 100 cases of liquor. Soon after, the gang took back roads and went back to the United States. A few days later, maybe unrelated, there was a violent bank robbery in West Hope, North Dakota, where the town marshal was killed. At this point, things quieted down in Canada, and the robberies came to an end. Now, who were those robbers? Well, it turns out, they might not have been the Norman gang, but they may have been a famous gang of brothers from the United States. According to one account I found from the Texas State Historical Association, the robberies were done by the Newton Boys. Now, the Newton Boys were famous enough there would eventually be a movie about them. So, did they do the robberies? Well, we don't know for sure, but we're going to take a look at this family. Now, the gang consisted of several brothers from a family of 11 children. Willis Newton, the oldest of the brothers, farmed until he was arrested for stealing cotton with his brother Doc in 1909, and sentenced to two years in prison. They would escape and be pardoned after being recaptured and serving five years. Willis would rob his first train in 1914, taking $4,700. He was arrested and released in 1917 on bank robbery charges, which led him into a life of gambling and petty crime. And he would be arrested again, and pardoned again by the governor. Willis would continue robbing banks over the next few years with several other men. In 1920, he was joined by his brother, Joe Newton, and another outlaw named John Glasscock to rob banks in Nebraska and Iowa where they stole $400,000 in Victory and Liberty bonds, that turned out to be worthless because they'd already been registered. In 1921, Willis enlisted his brothers Jess and Doc to help with bank robberies, and they drove around in special Studebakers for transport, robbing banks throughout the continent. Over the course of their most lucrative spree, which included possibly the Canadian robberies as well as several in the United States, they stole $200,000 in cash and bonds, valued at roughly $3 million today. In 1924, the gang robbed a train at Roundout, Indiana, stealing $3 million, or $43 million in today's funds. This was the most lucrative train robbery in United States history to that point. In the robbery, Doc was accidentally shot by Glasscock, and eventually the law caught up with the gang and each member was sent to Leavenworth Prison. 
Doc spent six years in prison, while Jess Newton served nine months for the train robbery, while his brother, Joe, served one year. Willis Newton was sentenced to four years. Following prison, Willis worked odd jobs before going back to prison for hauling whiskey, before being charged for a bank robbery and serving seven years. His brother Joe, charged in that same bank robbery, would serve ten years. Jess, he would have a bit of a quiet life after this. He would work ranches until he passed away from lung cancer at the age of 73 in 1960. Now Willis, after getting out of prison, he did too settle down, and he would farm with his wife for the remainder of his life before passing away in 1979 at the age of 90. Doc, he never calmed down. He ran whiskey for a time, and at the age of 77, yes, 77, was arrested for an attempted bank robbery in 1968, and in that bank robbery, he was struck in the head when arrested, and resulted in brain damage. And he would be sent to prison to serve his sentence. And he died at the age of 83 in 1974. And Joe... Well, he settled down as well after spending some time in prison for that bank robbery, and he worked at several ranches over his life, and he died at the age of 88 in 1989. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X. For me, it was a lot of fun to research. If you have any ideas for episodes or you have any questions, please feel free to email me at crwbaird at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G, B-A-I-R-D, and you can find me on Instagram at B-A-I-R-D-O-3-7. Thanks, and I'll see you next week.